Shall come to 
Hello, Emmanuel Church. Merry Christmas. And uh, thank you, I heard that. And Merry Christmas to those watching online, which are quite a few this year. Uh, Our text today is going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. This sermon is entitled, The Hope of Christ. And this is the word of the Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there is no room for them in the end. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all of these things, pondering him in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. For they have heard and seen as it had been told them. That was the word of the Lord. I really wrestled tonight with what to share on this joyous night. Uh, It's a unique Christmas Eve, as we know. Uh, Maybe the most unique we've had in many generations. Uh, This season comes once a year. And here we are in these pews once again looking at this manger and walking through this famous story yet again. This story recounts something that theologians call the incarnation. The idea being that God actually became human flesh. Now, Christianity is really the only religion that claims something as extraordinary as the incarnation. Islam would consider it utter heresy for all to take on flesh. Eastern religions would not see the need to if you can simply become a God yourself. 
And modern Westerners uh, recount this story as nothing more than a a fairy tale regulated to the other fun but maybe well-meaning stories since what you can see, feel, and touch is really all that you get in this life. Now, Christianity, I believe, is the best and the most adequate explanation for this world. The Incarnation claims that there is another Reality, Call it another dimension, if you will. What the scriptures refer to as heaven. And the story goes that Jesus, holding all of the privileges of God, all the beauty and the glory and the splendor of being God, of being the royal king of the universe in the heavens, considered none of those things as worthy to be exploited for his own gain, but he left them aside in heaven and came to earth and was born through the womb of a young teenage girl, a poor one, really the poorest of the poor, as we see when they gave their sacrifice at the temple, they gave two turtle doves, which was regulated in the law to be for those who could not afford anything else. Jesus willingly entered into this world in such a humble manner, in the most humble of circumstances. The birth of Christ, then, is a claim that on that night, heaven met earth. When Mary laid the Christ child in that major, heaven touched down into our earth. If you were there on that day, in that moment, perhaps you would have recognized something sacred about the birth of Christ. And that's really what I want to talk to you tonight about, is the idea of sacredness. I think we've lost the notion of sacredness in our Western world. We want the, the real and the nitty and the gritty and the, the, the utter realism of things. And we've lost any kind of yearning for the transcendent or for the sacred. Now, the root behind the English word sacred is to be set apart, is to be unique, set aside for something holy. Now, sacredness is a human understanding. I think I'm going to argue tonight that sacredness is a natural response of our humanity when we see something that seems to glimpse like a little window into a different world. And it happens in our lifetimes. When these moments come, usually what follows in sacred moments is silence, stillness, quietness, because you don't want to disturb what you are looking at. And what you are seeing, these, these moments, I think they reflect the truth of the incarnation, that this world really is not all that there is. For why would our hearts in such moments uh, kind of lurch in anticipation of experiencing something that goes maybe even beyond ourself? Certain human experiences really display the sacredness, marriage, a covenant before God that, that says the only way that I will ever leave you as if I die. For as Solomon wrote in Songs of Solomon, love is stronger than death. When I stepped into the Sistine Chapel in Rome many years ago and observed the incredible beauty of the art that surrounded me from walls on the ceiling all around me, it's, uh, when you see that kind of beauty, it seems to put you almost somewhere else as you are observing it. When you see that art that expresses things that we cannot seem to express with our tongue or with a pen. Listening to the Hallelujah Chorus of Handel's Messiah, 
uh, many hundreds of years ago, it caused King George II to almost immediately just stand to his feet in awe upon hearing the beauty of the chorus that was ringing through his ears. And that tradition follows even today. I even made my own kids stand at our breakfast table as we played that chorus. And even my favorite movie, I think one of the greatest movies of all time, Home Alone. There's a scene in this movie, okay, when, um, I don't care, I can be a baby in movies and, you know, always get a little, t- I mean, who doesn't cry in Home Alone when the old man, you know what I'm talking about. But it, it, in the movie, there's a scene where he's, when, he, when uh, Kevin is sitting with his neighbor, this old man that he was afraid of, but in this moment, he, he kind of gets to know him and his story and realizes and, and hears a story of estrangement and his family, brokenness between the man and his daughter. And Kevin is kind of innocently enough pushing him to reconcile with his family. But you know where this conversation is taking place? Inside of a church, inside of almost a cathedral, if you will, a holy place, right? And I think the director has something in mind to say this is kind of a sacred moment talking about reconciliation inside of a church of all places. But there's fewer sacred moments that can compare with the birth of a child. I have written records of all six of my children's births and I distinctly remember every single one because there's scarcely anything more holy than those moments of watching my wife in the agony of birth, only in moments time to be holding a freshly born child that belonged to us. It is a moment when the nurses and doctors when they're scurrying about making sure that the baby's okay with checking his temperature and this or that and they kind of eventually leave the room and say, we'll leave you alone with your new child. And it's that deeply intimate moment when we are alone that silence hits the room and we just stare in awe at the beauty of the child that we are holding. And it's in those moments, I believe, that we see it and we say, surely there's more to our story here. Surely the beauty of these moments say, this is not all that there is, that life actually does have deeper meaning and you are even more significant than you could possibly realize. Surely in those sacred moments, we get a glimpse of that reality. Yet it was only... In our arrogance, right, that so many years ago that we, in a garden, we said to God, we said when we were created in his image, and we said, you know, Lord, all the stuff that you've given us, the image bears that we are before you. In our arrogance, when we decided to try to be gods ourselves, in control of our own lives, making and calling the shots for ourselves, we discover that it was then that the pain entered this world. And the, the whole experience of childbirth is really, it comes from Genesis 3. It's not just a metaphor, but it's literally from God himself that says the whole experience of childbirth is kind of a metaphor for our life. There's great intense pain that comes and it's our fault. But God, through the human story, has planned on and has and will bring about new life through all the pain and through all the agony that we see in this world, through the curse and through the fall that is on our shoulders, that is our fault that we rebelled against our God. 
When, when God called down the curses on Eve, he says, you know, your, your name means the mother of the living, but when you give birth, it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. I'm going to actually multiply your pain to remind you that you are not God after all and that you need me. Now imagine God when he called down that curse in Genesis 3.16, weeping on such a proclamation as new life was to be so beautiful, but now it is wrought with such pain. And my wife's agony in those moments was just a reminder to me each time that this world is broken. It is broken. But to behold that newborn child and its birth cries when oxygen first hits, hits his or her lungs for the first time and observing it peacefully sleeping after through the pain and through the wonder of it all, new life has come about. Now this pain that we're speaking of has only multiplied throughout the ages. Some generations experienced it more than others. And I believe the year 2020 will be read, studied, and spoken of in future generations as one of the most challenging and difficult years in our national history. Yet the sacred moments we are given in life, are, they're gifts from God. And I think they invoke a response in us, a longing to look beyond ourselves with hope, hope that maybe just the beauty and the wonder that we see in life, maybe it's a compass pointing us on through the brokenness of our world, really shining a spotlight on the suffering and exposing it for what it is, something that is alien to our story, that was supposed to not belong to the human story. No one needs to convince you that suffering and death doesn't belong. If the human story was as simple as evolution claimed to be, why don't we stare at confusion and even hatred when a loved one passes away? Why does suffering feel as if it does not belong? This sermon is entitled The Hope of the Birth of Christ, and I am going out on the limb to make a claim for all of you today. You were here just maybe because somewhere in you, you as well just may have a hope that there is something more to that manger, to that birth of Jesus. That indeed his birth was just no ordinary birth. That the story of the incarnation of God becoming flesh just maybe is true. As the angels announced to the shepherds that this baby was the Christ, the King, the Savior of this world, who for in 33 years, 33 years later, for the joy that was set before him, he embraced the cross, bearing all the pain of this broken world on his shoulders. And his own mother stood and watched her precious son brutally murdered at the hands of the Romans. And three days later, as he arose from the dead, conquering the thing that is unconquerable in our human story, he even now is extending a rebirth to you. He is offering to you right now a new way of living with a new king. And his birth was the gift of this new king to this world. The resurrection story in reality, see, sealing the promise that that is not all that there is to the story, even then, that there is still yet a second advent to come, a day when he returns with all the glory and might of his divinity and of his love, he will say to this world, behold, I am making all things new. 
He will restore all of humanity from every tribe and tongue and language and skin color and bring them together in unity back to God. As we see right now, even a distraught nation infighting constantly, placing high hopes on other human beings and institutions to quote unquote save us and fix our world of all of our problems. As we see a world suffering beneath so much this year, my question for you tonight is what are you hoping for? Why are you here tonight? Are you looking for hope somewhere else other than this manger? than the cross, than the empty tomb? Are you allowing the sacredness of such a night like Christmas Eve, following the joy of tomorrow morning, to allow the gift giving and the delicious food and the fellowship we will have with with one another that we will enjoy, are we allowing these things to point us towards the only hope we have, Jesus Christ and his coming? Can you even now stand in amazement at the humble work of God that no human imagination could have invented that the Almighty God was born in a manger? This is one of my favorite newer Christmas songs says. It says, see this newborn child. See the mighty, the weak, and the tender. The word of God who is now mute. See the sovereign without splendor. See the fullness destitute. Light of life, dispel my darkness. Let your frailty strengthen me. Let your meekness meekness give me boldness. And let your burden set me free. And tonight, let your death be life for me. Are you in need of life tonight? And are you willing to receive the gift of life that Christ wants to offer you now? As we close, we are about to sing a very famous song. One that all of you know in this room, a song that has been translated into over 110 different languages. It has become essentially a world heritage at this point. It was written 202 years ago. And it was sung for the first time this very night in a small mountain town of Salzburg, Austria. It was written by a young priest named Joseph Moore. It's melody written by Franz Gruber. It was written in a pinch because the organ in Moore's church was broken due to the extreme cold of the day. And they desperately needed special music for the Christmas Eve service. They needed special music because their community was suffering greatly and had been through very hard times that year. A great fire had ravaged their city, burning over 1,000 structures, and so many families in the city lost their livelihood in that time. They were still recovering from the Napoleonic Wars and the economic devastation that came from it, and also just a year prior, it was called the year without a summer because a volcanic eruption exploded in a distant land that created ash all in the atmosphere, destroying crops, destroying the economy, and they were still reeling from it. This was the condition of that church sitting in Salzburg, Austria, and I maybe can liken it to 2020, where here you and I are sitting kind of exhausted and trying to catch our breath from a mammoth of a year that all of you to some degree or another have been affected by, maybe you could say have suffered beneath. 
And much like us today, just like those people sitting in those pews, they needed hope. They needed to grasp onto something sacred. They showed up to that small church. They had nothing to give, nothing to offer, just the pain and the trials that they'd been through. Gruber and Moore stood before that beaten and tattered congregation as they, for the first time, gently sung the words, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. As we sing this song tonight, we're going to have the lights turned down. We will play this song, and at first, only the music and violin will play through the melody. I would ask that you refrain from singing, and also during that time, refrain from lighting your candles. Only the candles on stage will be lit, and they will be a visual reminder of the darkness of our world. That darkness that Christ was born into, the darkness that we've experienced this year, the darkness that has been 2020, and the glimmer of hope that yet awaits with a single candle lit. As soon as our worship director, Derek, begins singing, at that time we would ask that you stand and then turn on your candles. With so many watching at home, if you could just maybe lift them a little high so those at home, we can, they can see on the live stream camera. Our candles are reminders that in the darkness of 2020, there is still light to be found. That out of pain, new life can be wrought. And I pray that you tonight may reach out for the gift of this newborn child. And maybe even tonight receive him for the first time through faith and allegiance to him. The shepherds told one another after seeing the angelic host, they said, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Even now, I would like to extend this invitation one more time to Bethlehem, this very night and this very moment. Let's travel there now as we sing this song.
leave this place, Jesus, I pray that your face would shine upon everyone in this room, that the joy of this holiday would take root deep into our souls as we rejoice at your coming and as we hope for your second return. Thank you, Jesus, for this night. It is you that receives all the glory and all the praise of our hearts. We love you, Jesus. We pray this In your wonderful, glorious, majestic, and magnificent holy name, amen. Thank you, guys. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.